Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. My name's Dan Morganti, and joining me for this games episode of Bite Into It, the monthly games episode, is Maze Wallen. How are you doing, Maze? I'm doing all right, Dan. How are you going? Yeah, pretty well. I'm a little bit tired, but not in a exhausted kind of way, just uh, burning the candle at both ends a little bit. And, uh... and I think it's winter. I think it's just the dead of winter. Yeah, it gets into your bones. Just want to hibernate. Yeah. All that. Do we have bear DNA? I, I, I'm assuming we share DNA with bears. Mammals? Yeah. Um, yes, but I would places. very much like to hibernate. <laughs> um, how's your week in video games been, Maze? It's going all right. Yeah, I've played some interesting little bits and bobs. Um, I played a, a kind of a, a shitpost of The Witness, which yep. is a John Blow game with like a lot of puzzles and an island. I really didn't like that game. But the <laughs> shitpost is called The Looker, and it goes for 30 minutes, and it's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, how about you? Yeah, um, I've been playing a lot of Cookie Clicker, which yes. if you're unfamiliar, uh, it is a browser-based idle game. It's probably the most popular in the genre, popular popularise the genre of idle games, mm. where you just uh, click a cookie uh, and then you buy upgrades and items to click more cookies only to buy more. It's a, a Ouroboros, the uh, self-eating yeah. snake, just continually getting more cookies to buy more cookie production facilities. And uh, I've got to say, it makes me feel hollow. Like, it's not a very... Really? I don't think I've had fun playing Cookie Clicker. It's just something that I do, like, I'll do for two minutes while I'm changing web pages or, you know, going between programs mm-hmm. on the computer. And it's just like, well, I'll save up and get that. It, it's, it almost feels like browsing um, social media. Like, if you're on the couch and you're just looking at Instagram for half an hour, and then you get off and you're like, what did I just do for half an hour? Like, I just looked at I disagree. Pictures. I disagree. Because I remember there being a lot of funny little bits and pieces, and the upgrades are very funny. I will say it does have a, a pretty funny sense of humor. So one of the yeah. upgrades, the, one of the first upgrades you can get is grandma. So Exactly. Gra- like, you, I guess, hire or conjure a grandma and uh, she'll bake cookies for you. And grandmas can, at the start, they bake one cookie per second, but you can get them upgrades. And then um, you can get stuff like wizard towers and temples and banks, like banks you're creating interest out of cookies, like yep. cookie interest. Uh, wizard towers are portals, like you're conjuring um, cookies from another dimension. There's uh, prisms, which like distill pure light into pure cookies and stuff. So it's got yeah. a funny sense of humor. And then it's got this really weird eldritch uh, side to it. So like the game, I, it, there's no winning to it, but... Um, no, but there are... I, I was quite a completionist with Cookie Clicker and I don't know if I've... I don't think I did end up getting all the achievements, but, you know, there were things like get millions of grandmas um, and no nothing else just have everything grandmas yeah and you know you get these little headlines in the games like you know grandmas are taking over the universe grandmas popping into existence out of holes and yeah yeah Yeah. there is a a bit of flavor text in there that's pretty pretty funny pretty well written yeah um yeah but it uh it is a 
weird game to spend so much time on and like it is. just I oh I need and the numbers get ridiculous real fast because every <laughs> building you buy has a 15% uh price increase so everything very quickly gets into the billions trillions uh quintillions and yeah, then like exactly. du- I think like duo decillions which is I don't know, I think like 15 zeros or something. Yeah, um, it starts showing that like plus E. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a old school crappy calculator that you had in primary school. <laughs> uh, but with cookies instead. So, you know, yeah. pretty self-aware. Um, and like I was reading about it and how it's like a reference to capitalism. Of course yeah. it is because yeah. like it gets to the point where like there's you're just ever producing more cookies and there's no end in sight and like you're only buying things to increase your cookie production. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there's that of course, which is, uh, um, very apt and also, uh, quite common these days as a, it's a metaphor for capitalism, you know, I kind of, I always feel like a, you know, first year uni student philosophy. Oh, it's, it's capitalism guys. But (laughs) You know, I guess this might do a better job than some others. I reckon. And that, that self-awareness, it, from what I remember, and I think I first discovered or first saw Cookie Clicker, I was actually in a museum in a show there um, in like 2014 or something like that. Like, yeah. it's quite old. And there weren't microtransactions or anything in it. Has that changed? Uh, there's a Steam version and a Patreon, so there's no oh. microtransactions, but you can support the creator That's nice. if you want, yeah. Um, and I don't think there's any end in sight for this game. I think it will just continue to uh, produce content for a while. If you can click a cookie, <laughs> there's going to be more content for it. <laughs> um, coming up on the show, we have a couple of interviews. One uh, with Dr. Fraser Allison. It's about uh, our voice in the digital world and modulation and uh, how our voice can be used uh, against us or which... And how to control games. And how to control games, of course. Yeah. Uh, And then later in the show, we have a pre-record with uh, Jay Kaplan from Co-Host, which is a new uh, social media out there, which kind of has like early 2000s social media hope still attached to it. It does. It does. Um, So yeah, looking forward to hearing that one. We are about to talk to Dr. Fraser Allison. Uh, It's part of the Melbourne Conversations July session um, called Deconstructing Human Voices. That's coming up on Wednesday the 20th at ACME. And Dr. Fraser Allison is a research fellow with the Human Computer Interaction Group at the University of Melbourne. His PhD is on the history, design, and UX of voice-controlled games. Video games, use of voice control, the experience of taking to a computer from both a cognitive and social behaviour perspective. That's an interesting one. Fraser, how are you going? I'm going really well, thanks. I'm glad to be here with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, thank you. Fraser, have they solved being able to understand Australian accents yet? Ah, yeah, that depends very much on um, on what you're using. I have run a number of studies with people using voice 
input, you know, speech recognition, various systems. And I've got to say, I was really surprised sometimes who was understood and who wasn't. I had people with quite broad Australian accents having no trouble, and then, you know, you'd get a really cut glass kind of London um, posh English accent uh, really struggling. Um, so, yeah, generally speaking, you know, it's who you'd expect that that, uh, that is most easily understood, essentially the people who reflect the demographics of the people who make these systems. Um, but I will say it's a lot, a lot better than it used to be. Um, well, on that, how, how far have we come in recent years? Like, uh, I, I remember playing uh, SOCOM on PlayStation 2, which was like you could control a squad. Uh, I don't remember it working particularly well. I think I gave up on it after an hour or so. But, um, like, how, how long ago has these uh, systems tried to be implemented into video games? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think most people would be surprised just how far back this uh, idea of kind of games and, and playful um, voice input, speech recognition, uh, goes. Um, it, it, it even goes back before the computer. I mean, if you look at the very first uses that uh, things like the phonograph were put to, they, they were they were dolls, um, you know, with vo recorded voices in them. Um, the very first uh, voice-activated device uh, that I've been able to find, at least, was uh, a little toy dog named Radio Rex, uh, and you would say its name, Rex, and it would it would it was sort of calibrated with a you know electromagnet uh, that when it heard that sound it would jump forward out of its little doghouse. Uh, this is before computers. This is 1916. Um, those were popular at the time. They were sold in Australia, you know. Um, and then you know, in the computer age, you can find uh, voice controlled uh, chess in the 1970s. Um, and then uh, in a, that's sort of more of a kind of a, a prototypes, you know, you find back way back then. But uh, as early as the mid-80s, um, the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, in fact, the Japanese version, so the Famicom, for those who know their kind of Nintendo product, had voice input into it, only in the Japanese version. We never got it um, here or kind of uh, outside of Japan. But there were a bunch of games, early Zelda games, that had a degree of voice um, input. They were trying all kinds of things, karaoke. Um, uh, look, it worked even worse then than uh, you know, SOCOM in the kind of 2000s. Um, it has steadily gotten better and better. Uh, but I think something that's become really clear over the years with voice technology generally, and, and including games, is that the technical challenges, you know, the speech recognition, all that, is only half the puzzle. Um, part of it is kind of making sure that it, it can hear you properly and it can respond properly. But there's also a, a very strange psychology that starts to set in when you're when you're talking to a computer or talking to a to a game, and that can really um, mess with you know how well you think these things might work. What does that mean? What what is uh, this so strange the, psychology? Tell us. The way that I like to to talk about it is, you know, we're talking about voice activated technology, but people are also voice activated. Uh, when we hear. Uh, voices, we uh, we respond in ways that we're often not even conscious of, that are kind of uh, mm. uh, that, that are kind of below the level of awareness a lot of the time. I mean, the classic thing is you can play one second of a person's voice um, to uh, uh, people who've never met that person who can't see them, and they will 
form very consistent judgments about their personality, about their, you know, all kinds of things, their social status, their kind of um, intelligence, like all these sorts of things have been, um, have been tested out. And we don't mean to do that. It, it just kind of happens because of all the kind of preconceptions we have. We load so much into voice. That's when you're hearing a voice, we, we sort of respond in this way. And it's the same when you're speaking. The act of speaking is kind of uniquely when it comes to, to human behavior. The act of speaking is always a performance. You know, you're always mm -hmm. speaking to someone. Even if you're talking to yourself, you're still talking kind of to yourself. But generally speaking, you know, we don't, we don't use voice for anything else. It's not like, you know, when you use your hands, you're often kind of just doing tasks for their own sake. Um, but, but speech is there to, to kind of con communicate and, and convey things. And so as soon as you start talking, you're, you're suddenly in a role. You know, um, when you look at voice-controlled video games, one of the things that comes through very strongly is that they're often kind of grounded in, in some degree of role-playing. Um, and I found, found out in my studies, when I kind of showed people these games and got them to try them out, they would say, wow, yeah, I really, you know, I, I, I'd get people to try the same game with voice control and without. And they'd say, as soon as I started using voice control, I felt like the commander or I felt like the air traffic controller. Um, I was sort of, you know, I was stepping into that persona. It does feel like it's innovated quite far then. Um, similar to Dan, my earliest memory of voice control is also PS2 and trying to shout at this character where she was meant to aim on a monster and I just remember shouting stomach stomach and then trying to do it in what I thought was an American accent which is not that far and you know that's been my experience recently as well as you know through people's little audio experiments and and trying to be like all right I'm going to put on an American accent or a robot kind of get I find myself getting quite robotic with the, yep. yeah, yeah. So you mentioned earlier that, like, um, there's different programs and different um, re respond to different people. What would be the benchmark for, like, the highest quality captures the most people and works the best for the most people? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a kind of a, um, a evidence-based answer to that. I, just my impressions are that... Um, generally speaking, you know, it's exactly who you'd expect. You're kind of your, your, your Googles um, and, and those companies that have all the data and that have kind of the most sophisticated machine learning um, and have put an awful lot of money into kind of making sure that their services that they've rolled out in all your devices in all over the place, built into operating systems, um, a lot of effort and, and data has gone into making sure that those things work really well. And, of course, they've um, got the... Uh, voice recorders in your house now when you speak to them directly. Like yeah. They say they're not yeah, recording, absolutely. but uh, I don't know. I don't trust them. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole topic. I, th I think it's, it's fascinating the extent to which people are convinced that they're, that they're always being kind of um, spied on by their devices. Um, and I mean, I don't think it often happens in the way people think, because basically because speech recognition is harder than that, uh, that it would not be kind of technically very possible to listen to you all day and then feed you ads for laundry detergent when you mention laundry detergent. It's just kind of technically very difficult to do. Um, but I mean, certainly, you know, if you were someone who was afraid of, of your devices getting hacked, uh, it's very, um, very possible for someone to uh, kind of get into your phone and, and turn your microphone on and, and, and listen to you. I mean, most people just aren't targeted with that kind of thing, but it's those sorts of security concerns are very real at the moment. 
Um, are we going to see like uh, PC and Mac? Like, oh, I'm a Mac guy. I'm a PC. Like, I only like this audio software, or I only like this audio software. Is is that like poss- the possibility of where we're heading with this kind of technology? And like, will it be um, this kind of stuff be integrated into games so you can choose your own kind of voice um, voice software or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that has been done um, in the past. There was sort of a, a bit of a, an era of... Uh, well, it's still the case. There, there are kind of third-party um, voice control systems that you can get, and then you can kind of map a command onto uh, commands in the game. So one of the... Oh, I've forgotten the name of it right now, uh, which is a real shame, but there is um, uh, an amazing uh, kind of YouTube series of someone playing uh, all kinds of video games just with their voice that you wouldn't think were possible. Um, and he's doing that with, uh, with, with this sort of third-party software, so he, he'll map, you know, left, right, up, down, jump, um, and so forth to, to commands. And then often uh, t- the games might be tweaked, so they're kind of... Um, slowed down or they've got a bit of an easy mode on. But it's amazing. I mean, um, so Celeste, one of the hardest platforming games um, of the past few years, I've seen uh, this guy play Celeste with, with voice inputs. And, I mean, I can't play Celeste with my hands. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that tough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there, there are all kinds of ways you can do it. Where it is often the most valuable is in cases where people can't um, can't, they, they sort of, it's, it's an option for them because they don't have the access. They're, they've got a, you know, a, a motor condition um, or, or something like that. So that's kind of where it, you would struggle through the difficulties. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think people would be surprised how many big games, especially kind of in the 2010s, had quite sophisticated, quite, um, quite a, a sort of widespread voice control technology in them, um, particularly in the kind of the Xbox Connect era. Um, the mm. one that, I, that nobody seems to have heard of that was you know, a fairly big deal was Mass Effect 3, one of the biggest role-playing games, really involved character-based thing. You could play through Mass Effect 3 giving uh, voice commands to your teammates and, and speaking the lines of dialogue. It's a very dialogue-based Yeah, absolutely. Thing. I had there, no there idea that, that was a feature yeah. there. Yeah. And, I mean, you can see kind of people talk about kind of getting into it. But, I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, Maze, about sort of having to put on an American accent, often that's where those experiences kind of don't quite live up to what you want them to be. You get this sense of um, what I call identity dissonance. You know, you feel mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm having to be someone who's not quite me to make this work, and then it, it, it kind of can get a bit, a bit difficult. Um, this is... Very fascinating. Uh, can you please let uh, people know where they can uh, see you or uh, look up some of your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I am um, a researcher at uh, the University of Melbourne in the Human-Computer Interaction Group. So if you look up uh, Human-Computer Interaction at the University of Melbourne, you can find uh, my, my profile there. Awesome. Dr. Fraser Allison, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to us. Uh, well, to us, you're just a disembodied voice at this point, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, to talking to us about uh, voices in video games and uh, on the computer. Thanks so much. I've been voice cloned this whole time. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Triple R. Jay Kaplan is part of the Anti-Software Software Club, the company behind one of the internet's latest attempts at a new social media platform co-host. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you. I am uh, very, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. I haven't had I haven't done this in a long time, so it's very it's exciting stuff. 
Yeah, um, co-host seems to have grown pretty quickly, you know, it feels like all of the kind of cool artists who I follow have jumped on there. Um, is, you know, is this something that you expected? I noticed on the side of the of the site, it says you've been working on it for three years. So how has this kind of come about? Yeah, so uh, honestly, like the the sort of response that we saw in the first week really did or the first week public, I should say, really did mm. blow us away. We were in a sort of extended uh, friends and family test uh, starting in early February. Um, and that was with, by the end, it ended up being about 150 or so people. Mm. Uh, and so that was, you know, a very valuable window. But prior to that, yeah, about three years, we officially started development of the thing that became co-host. Uh, back in October 2019, and it definitely took longer than we had initially anticipated. You know, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic obviously didn't really help with our uh, productivity or Mm -hmm. any of that, but we did manage to, you know, work through that. We had to pivot in July 2020 to, you know, what co-host is now, which is more of a social media platform than yeah, its right. initial was... form. Yeah, so it's an its initial form was a sort of subscriber management, sort of like a Patreon sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, a a way for creators to directly, yeah, you know, it, it's it, subscriber management like Patreon does. We dropped that uh, in July twenty. 19 or 2020 excuse me but the goal the whole time like one of our big goals the whole time has been around enabling creators to do their best work and so initially that was via making it possible for them to have an income for their work be able to Mm. directly sell their work to you know their their fans and supporters and it changed as we moved to a social media platform to still wanting to maintain that allowing creators to do their best work with what we had assumed was just going to be, oh, there's not a character limit and you can have some, you know, more formatting than you would see in, you know, sort of a standard Tumblr, Twitter, Mastodon, one of those. And it very much, the, the, it turns out our users are way more creative than we are and than (laughs) we could have possibly imagined, uh, which has been incredible. Like I said, we we could not have imagined the first week to have gone anywhere near as well as it does as it did. It's been it's been exciting. Yeah, I um what drew me to co-host finally after just my Twitter feed being full of ah I'm me on co-host now was um someone who's a local to Melbourne, John, also known as Is Your Guy Online, making some mm. kind of dithering tool using a combination of inline CSS and vectors or something like that. And I was like, oh, okay, this this is cool. Um, what what yeah. other kinds of things have you seen or, or what other kinds of artworks so have there been? It's funny because you sent me that and I hadn't seen it yet, which was great because it was this, for me, this, you know, really present indicator of like, wow, yeah, my specific bubble that I'm following right now is still really small. If I'm, I'm still missing stuff as cool as this, but we've been seeing people really like, there was this uh, very 
big sort of technical race to see who could put the most complicated thing in a series of absolutely detail and summary tags of <laughs> you know like you've got your uh your your you've got your one line, you know, normally your one line and then a little drop down arrow that you can click on and it gives you more text about something. Just seeing essentially how deep can you get with those and uh, doing combinations of that and CSS animations and animated GIFs to create Mm. some really incredible things. So uh, one of the first things that really stuck out to me is uh, one of our users, uh, Mog, created a, ported a WarioWare minigame into a series of, detail summary tags and uh css animations which is for me one of the first ones that i saw and was like i don't even fully understand how this one works i I mean it does you know but i i only have a rough idea of what's even going on with it things like that um things like uh i should have taken more notes i'm drawing a blank now um Uh, so like on the technical on the technically impressive stuff we've been seeing stuff like that but then one thing i've really enjoyed as well is with the inline css we're Mm. not just seeing technically impressive stuff we're also seeing people just you know on in some senses we're seeing some people who have just essentially created a template for all their posts they've all got like a little style unique to their posts uh one of our early users, Black Omari, who is a uh, net artist whose whose work I like, um, ported or published, I think, on day one of public operation, a sort of SCP wiki style thing talking about a defunct social media website that had cognito hazardous, the cognito hazardous effect of replacing other social media websites logos with uh, their logo but with the other with the the defunct site one world stories name and so the post contains you know edits of like a tiktok logo facebook a couple other ones but when you click into the read more on it something that i didn't even notice the first time i saw it it overlaid an edited version of the co-host logo <gasps> edited to say one world story over it, which also one of those things that just, I saw it the first time and I was like, that's like, it, it, it's, it's really, it's just incredible sort of. How far what... people have been able to go. Yeah, exactly. Like not, not just the, the technical aspects of it, but the creative aspects of it too. And, and the integration of the level of freedom that we're giving our users but still with constraints, you know, it's, it's a sandbox, but it's a sandbox that we've limited some of the tools on for, you know, site security and user privacy and security and the, the, the standard things don't, you can't actually just let users put a straight HTML and JavaScript into a uh, text box that is bad. Yeah, uh, I spent a few hours some... yesterday trying to make audio play like really, really annoying person would. <laughs> yeah, we we actually so audio is one of the rare instances, and this is I will go ahead and say one of our goals is like I said we have restrictions on the tools, and sometimes we have to add new ones, limit what users mm-hmm. are able to do. Uh, an example is actually the One World Story post. That still works, but it was using a CSS rule that we did have to disable uh, moving forward because, you know, there's concerns around being able to overlay onto our site's Mm. user interface. There's, it could be confusing. It could lead to users accidentally clicking the wrong thing. That's bad. Mm. 
we have a system in place, though, so that if we do need to change rules for security reasons, our goal is to never break a post. And so One World Story continues to function, but new users couldn't create, or like you couldn't recreate it in a new post. Yeah, um, right. And audio is one of the rare exceptions in which we, and I say accidentally and I mean it, we accidentally broke a post, uh, which is uh, that, yeah, audio is not working right now. And we're going to bring it back in a, it, it was it was in a very sort of kind of busted to begin with form. Uh, that is one of the things, though, that we want to have real official support for. So in in thinking about, you know, the goal has always been around enabling you know, people to create their best work. Uh, yeah, that would be really how... exciting because a lot of other yeah. social medias, you know, don't even allow you to upload an MP3 or something like that. Um, yeah, there, there's a yeah. lot of areas where there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, mm. right? And mm. it, things like audio, things like being able to do longer text content, things like, you know, even basic styling, are all kind of low-hanging fruit that a lot of platforms have just chosen to not really get get involved in. And, you know, you could make any number of assumptions about why they're doing this. The The why is less interesting, I mm. think. Uh, but it, it does give us a lot of easy ways to try and try and hit our goals that we have and and make make something that is, I hope, better. But if nothing else, different. Yeah, it does remind me a little bit of old MySpace, um, the kind of freedom that we're given. Um, what have some of the security concerns been? We talk about security a lot on this show um, and data mining and things like that. Mm. Yeah. What's your approach been? So our approach is um, we've got, yeah, so we've got the tool set fairly locked down on in terms of what people are able to use. and. Uh, we're we're pretty closely monitoring the situation. One area that we are we're still sort of weighing what we want to do about it. Uh, the SVG format allows you to do all sorts of really wacky stuff, and since users can upload SVG images as images, normal attachments, and we only display them in the image context, which browsers will uh, browsers turn off the majority of SVG's weird functionality when mm -hmm. it's being displayed as an image and not as like an inline element. The problem comes in users can still put that stuff in the SVG. And if someone opens it in a new tab, it could execute JavaScript or, or what have you. Really, right. Um, and we've got things set up in a way where our images never exist on the same domain as the actual site. So if mm. you have an SVG that's got some JavaScript in it that could, say, read user cookies, which is pretty easy for JavaScript to do, you can't actually get at anything because all of the actual sensitive information lives within a different uh, oh, yeah. different partition for the browser. So it's 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 one of those areas, though, where we're keeping an eye on it and seeing could this potentially become an issue if so you know we'll we're we're in a position where we can make changes to uh cut cut that off but it's very much a how do we feel about this right now and mm. we're we're you know we're we're keeping an eye on it yeah i know please listeners don't take this <laughs> as an invitation to make my job a little bit harder thank uh, you there'll be someone <laughs> oh guaranteed um 
Yeah, I noticed on the side of this site, you know, you have this kind of mission statement or some values that you've put up. Um, and one of them is around moderation, which I think a lot of our listeners would be a fan of. Um, but how are you approaching that? Like, you're not reading every single post. How are we kind of dealing with that? No, yeah. So even if we were, even if we wanted to do something like that, we just don't have the people, right? Mm. So Anti Software Software Club is three employees. And it's not, we have no intention of ever hiring someone who's like, their job is to sit and they do moderation and they look at support tickets all day and that's it. Uh, yeah, that, that is how stories go as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an everyone job uh, and it will always be an everyone job. If anything, we would hire someone to help reduce how much of the work there is, but it's not going to, but like in a making things better way, not in a, mm. you know, your job is to do tickets. but. In terms of moderation, we're very dependent on user reports since, yeah, we can't look at everything. We have some tooling in place for detecting certain types of our community guideline moderations. But one of our big goals is that we will never use automated tooling for actually making moderation decisions. So a lot of platforms, it's pretty clear that a lot of their moderation is being done by some sort of unanswerable algorithm. Uh, and in some cases, it seems pretty clear that when even opening up a human appeal, a human is still not looking at it. It just probably runs through the same computer again because yeah. you'll see completely nonsensical violations still get flagged as, nope, this was correct. So we every single report that we get, we're looking at. And fortunately... We have not actually had very many. One of our things as well is the site is anyone can sign up. Anyone can make an account, get a page, set up their page, follow people, share posts, et cetera. Being able to create new posts and comment are behind invites. And our reason for that is because of the human moderation. We need to know what we can scale to. That mm. is our biggest blocker right now. And Already this decision has gotten has been has been proven out. The only bans we have had to make so far have been from people with without invites. So they weren't able to post. So the amount of damage they were able to do was very limited, which especially when we have when we're still working on ramping up our moderation capacity is vital that bad actors aren't able to cause as much harm as they'd be able to if they just had unfettered access. So that has been sort of the 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 main infrastructure is our moderation infrastructure that we need to build up before we can really bring more people in. Because we want everyone to be able to use co-host. Mm. Uh, we think it's really cool and we don't want it to feel like this exclusive space where you got to have an invite. You got to be one of the cool posters. It's It's just... We gotta we if we want to do it right, and we do with moderation, especially that takes a lot of time, and we want to make sure that we are before we really throw open the gates. Yeah, it's a really cool balance of having people can still be on the platform and experience also what the vibe of the community is before they can yeah. start posting. Um, yeah, yeah, that's been that's been one of the things that we've we've been hearing, and it's I've I've seen it I've seen it as well, like. You know, as soon as people have, because we also will, you know, every day or couple days activate another 100, 150 people off the list. And mm -hmm. they, 
are all they're just immediately like locked in they know what the site is they've been there they've been looking they've been sharing stuff and it's it's been really cool it's also wild to me that we're activating 100 150 people a day when the most we had prior to a week ago was 150 people and then today we just all right 150 more on the stack it's the growth has been it's been wild i i genuinely couldn't have imagined that it would be like this yeah, I really appreciate, though, that it is still step by step. There seems to be a kind of shift in thinking in startups from move fast and break things to keep things as in scope as possible so that those predictable problems can be dealt with quicker. Yeah, we, we're we very lucky that sort of just how how we're structured as a company and especially, you know, the source of our funding gives us a lot of freedom to not have to chase hyper growth forever. Uh, you know, we're hundred percent worker owned, right. uh, three employees. Our funding is, uh, non equity based. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a loan with generous terms, but it's a loan. We will pay it back someday. And when we do, we will own the company hundred percent free and clear, not, beholden to any outside shareholders or investors, which means that we're able to build what we want and what we think is going to be, you know, best for best for the site, best for users. Um, and hyper growth is bad, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, VC funded startups having to just chase permanent growth forever is not a not a good thing. We have written about this on our corporate website and why we think it's bad. Uh, and it's being able to limit invites in the way that we have is entirely because we have that freedom and our, our, our funder is, they are involved, uh, but not in a sort of here's, here's what you have to do way, just in a, you know, we, we talk to them, we tell them what's, what's going on. They've been, they've been thrilled as well, which is great because they have been, you know, they, they, they funded us because they believed in what we were doing and that we could do it. And so they've been thrilled about how everything's been going. Cause they were right. It seems like <laughs> that's fun always. Uh, but it's, it, they are also fully on board with us scaling things as we have been and not chasing growth and not chasing, you know, our goal is to make enough money that we are able to keep paying ourselves a decent salary and make the company sustainable, pay off our debt. And that's it. None, mm. We're not in this to get rich. We're not in it to make a big profit. We're not, we, we're not legally a nonprofit because in the U S the tax rules around that are extremely silly. Uh, but we are, we are mission wise, at least a, and a not for profit is the term I think we're allowed to use uh yeah right and, for us i'm pretty sure a not-for-profit and a non-profit are the same thing um yeah but, okay yeah yeah it's 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 really I, I our lawyer explained it to us in a way that i would never be able to uh no, do right. as well it's it's very silly just why things are the way they are uh yeah and so yeah. um what's the story behind anti-software software club the three of you are you all local to one another or how did you kind of come together and start making these things yeah so uh colin and i so it's it's three of us it's myself uh my co-founder colin bear and uh employee number three 
uh, Aiden Grealish, who is, uh, she, she is the most recent addition to the company. She joined, she had done some contract work for us uh, in 2020, but she was a, we were able to bring her on full time after we got a little bit more money last September, which she has been invaluable. Like this would not have happened without her. So that, whoo, really glad we were able to do that. Uh, but Colin and I started it after we both left our previous jobs at about the same time in mm-hmm. September. Uh, yeah, sub- September 2019. And yeah, none of us are local to each other. So I was living in the San Francisco area at the time. Uh, Colin lives up in Seattle. Aiden lives up in Portland. I've since moved home to where I grew up in Florida and, but none, none of us are in the same place. None of us have ever been in the same place. It's Colin and I met through internet networking stuff, just sort of how it is. Uh, Same sort of same thing with Aiden. You know, we just all had the same, same social circles met that way, did, you know, admired each other's work and it, it, it worked out. Here we are. Uh, it's, it yeah. turns out we work really well together, which is one of those things you always got to be a little nervous about working with your friends, going into business with your friends, but mm-hmm. it's been, it's been, you know, coming up on three years now and I'm, I'm still feeling very good about things, which is like, it, yeah. it turns out Thank we just you. work well together, which is, nice. which is nice. <laughs> so far the big dramatic drama hasn't happened, I suppose. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, and there was plenty of time for it to leading up to now. So hope, yeah. hopefully that bodes well. That's great. <laughs> I think that since we're all very value aligned, that probably helps somewhat. Absolutely. And is that, you know, something that you've really kind of codified in your business, your co-op company kind of deal? Um, yeah. To to the extent that we can like fully codify these things. Yeah, we, we have a lot of it is... Uh, a lot a lot of the value stuff though is so i guess on the codification front yeah we've we've done what we can there um we've codified sort of how our profit sharing as it were big air mm. quotes on that because like i said that's not profit is not the goal we've codified how that works everyone makes the exact same amount of money uh because everyone's work is equally important for the success of the company and if it wasn't then you know, we don't have money to burn. So mm. it's, it's, it's very much a, you're, you're here because y- you are necessary for us to succeed. And so, you know, everyone makes the same, we don't do like performance bonuses. Everyone has a co- we all get the same cost of living increase every year. Uh, and that's, you know, sort of, that's one of our big values is we're all in this together for each other. There's not like a Oh, you know, th- no, no one is anyone's boss. Although we do all have the freedom to pull the as your boss card if <laughs> we're trying to convince someone to actually take the day off sick because they need to or that oh, sort of beautiful. thing. Technically, I am the CEO. However, it's a position none of us want, and so it's assigned based on whoever's uh, baseball team did worst in the past year. So I am an Oakland Athletics fan, uh, <laughs> which. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure is going to go great. I'm an Oakland athletics fan. We're doing miserably bad this year. So I'm probably going to be CEO again next year, <laughs> like almost certainly. And who knows, maybe the year after we'll see. Uh, it's CEO for life over here. Um, and that has, but it, it's that sort of thing of 
none, none of us want to be the boss. None of us want to be, you know, in charge of the whole thing. We're mm. we're all very much equally involved in the decision making for product and business. It's it's important that we've all got the same voice on stuff. Yeah, it feels like a lot of that really does flow into the design and decisions behind co-host. That it doesn't feels like there's not some kind of power play happening, you know, which which is the kind of thing that does funnel through. Um, yeah, how how will things change for users in in the future? You know, will there be ads? Will there be monetization? How's how's that going to happen? How are you going to stay sustainable? No, no ads. We do not like ads. We don't want to serve ads. We have joked about adding an ad slot that just chastises you for not using an ad blocker, sort of the, <laughs> the reverse of what most most uh, most companies do. Um, but no ads, never ads. Uh, our monetization strategy is twofold. One, we have hats on our store. You can buy a hat with our mascot and oh, plug on it. <laughs> He's a, yeah, so sure, that's great. Well, uh, that's you know, that's paying the bills. Um, it's not. It's it's a very you know, that's that's not a lot of money. But it did make the me other think of hats in games and um, we've joked about that too. Things. Uh, I was like, oh uh, yeah, uh, right, like Team Fortress. Okay, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our our ongoing joke prior to launch was that you know we're going to launch the co-host season two battle pass, great. and <laughs> you yeah you get you get to collect hats for your profile and various skins, but. Uh, but our other actual monetization thing is we have a $5 a month, $50 a year, whichever, uh, fully optional subscription that is co-host plus is what it's called. Mm. And at the moment you get 10 megabyte photo uploads instead of five megabyte photo uploads. And that's it. It's literally it. You're going to get more. We're going to add more. Our goal is to never have like essential features behind it using yeah. co-host will always be free using co-host with all of the functionality available will always be free our goal is for co-host plus to add things that are kind of fun like a change your mouse cursor into a gauntlet like you're playing uh diablo you know things like awesome. that uh and not have it be this big like oh well you have to have a co-host plus account to view this post or that sort mm -hmm. of thing mm -hmm. and but so right now it's, you get slightly bigger uploads and the knowledge that this is literally our only source of revenue. And so if you subscribe to Cohost Plus, you help ensure that we will continue existing. And that has, that has worked. That has resonated. Oh, it turns out people like paying uh, for a thing that they like. Mm -hmm. Wild how that works. <laughs> uh, we are... I'm not, uh, I'm not going to like share numbers, but we're looking, co-host is still going to exist in a year, basically, is is the gist of it. We're, things are looking good. We're not, you know, we're not profitable. I would be terrified if we were profitable within the first week. That would be, uh, I wouldn't be here because I'd be too busy having a panic attack out in my backyard. Oh. <laughs> but no, we're, we're, we're not profitable, but we're on a very good trajectory. And yeah, we're still going to exist in a year. I think that there was this concern that, you know, we wouldn't catch on or be able yeah. to really hit whatever network effect we needed. But our goal yeah. isn't to get big or disrupt or kill any other platforms. We just want to we just want to exist, mm. do our thing, have our users pay our rent, make a nice little place. And yeah. it's looking like we're, we're going to be able to keep doing that for a while because it's just people like it and people are help paying for it, even though they get 
basically nothing in return at the moment. And it is a nice place at the moment, so well done. Thank you. I like it. <laughs> um, I'm happy with it. Jay, thanks for coming on the show. It was really beautiful chat with you, and thanks for sharing that story with our listeners. Um, Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's been it's been great to be here, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm I'm just sort of looking forward to the future of it. Yeah, I guess we'll see everyone on cohost.org. Please come join us. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. So I just want to highlight a beautiful uh, games bundle that's on itch.io. Um, there's the Indie Bundle for Abortion Funds by Cara Assertion and 604 other games. So that's something like $7,000 worth of games for $10 um, on itch.io and uh, all the money will go towards abortion funds. Perfect. That's what we need at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've come to the end of the show, another episode of uh, the Bite Into It Games, monthly games episode. Uh, thanks so much to Dr. Fraser Allison for coming on the show for uh, and running us through the, the highs and lows of voice-controlled video games. And uh, just then, Jay Kaplan from Co-Host and uh, uh, really in-depth chat about uh, a new social media platform and uh, what that has to offer. Um, and thanks to Elizabeth McCarthy, our talks producer, for lining that up. And thanks to the rest of the bike crew. Um, I haven't yeah. seen him for a while. We're, uh, we'll be uh, catching up shortly. Um, but yeah, thanks to, and thank you, listener, for listening. Um, Just the one. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.